you would turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 3 as we continue looking at the account of Christ's life by, uh, by Luke, companion of Paul, physician. <clears throat> and our text will be verse 15 through verse 20 this morning. And following the reading of scripture, we will sing the Gloria Patri printed for you in your bulletin. Please stand for the reading of God's holy word. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod, the Tetrarch, because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done. Herod added this to them, and then this to them all. He locked up John in prison. And God will add his blessing to this reading of his word. Amen. I want to preach to you today about baptism. Now, before the groans start being audibleized and you're thinking, oh, no, not again. Uh, I'm not going to talk to you about how much water we're supposed to use or who we're supposed to be baptizing. But what I want to talk to you is about Jesus' baptism. And uh, the text that we read this morning and the one that follows are both can both be titled and seen as the focus Jesus' baptism. But there's two different perspectives that are being given to us. In the verses we read today, we have Jesus' baptism or uh, the baptism done by Jesus. And then in the text that we'll come to next, it's Jesus' baptism, that is the baptism Jesus receives from John. And there's a distinct difference between the two. And the main focus of our of the text, the message today, the main focus text that we're going to look at in a few minutes is verse 16, where John says, I baptize you with water, but the one coming after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And that prophecy of John about what Jesus would come to do, what the Messiah would do, comes in the context of his ministry. And I'd like to take a few minutes just to reflect on him and his service to the Lord is given to us in this particular text. There's several things we see about John. Uh, The first is that he's a very humble witness for Christ. The crowds were gathering around him. He had collected a number of uh, people and they were coming to be baptized by him in the Jordan. And they were all filled with excitement and wondering, is this the Christ? Even the Sanhedrin had sent a committee from Jerusalem to interview him and question, are you the Messiah? And John answers the question, uh, no, I'm not the Messiah. He's the one coming after me, the one whose 
the thong of whose sandal I'm not uh, worthy to untie. Now, untying the thong of a sandal of a master was one of the lowly tasks of a slave. It wouldn't have been one of the more pleasant jobs you had to do. The master would have been out all day tromping, uh, tracing around in the dirty roads and would have come in, sat down, and the slave's job was to come and untie the sandal and wash the master's feet. Puts Jesus washing the disciples' feet in perspective, doesn't it? And John says, I am not worthy to do the lowest job of the slave compared to the Messiah who will come. John has a Christ-centered focus. He's a humble servant. Uh, He's will say to his own disciples later on, he must increase and I must decrease. And the humility of John is a great testimony and encouragement for us, but it's a reminder that that's what the gospel ministry should be all about. Paul in 2 Corinthians will say, we preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for his sake. Uh, Preaching is not to draw attention to the preacher, but to the Christ who is preached. So he's a humble witness. He is a faithful witness. In verse 18, it says he exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. He was uh, he, he, he preached the gospel to them, announcing the coming Messiah. But uh, a third thing is he's a suffering servant as well. And that that we see in verses 19 and 20. John had been preaching against Herod's immorality. One of the things that he had brought to attention is he rebuked Herod for taking his brother's wife. And Herod didn't like that. His wife particularly didn't like that. And he uh, preached about some of his other sins. And, And the text here says he added to all those other sins by imprisoning John. And we know that eventually he's going to behead him. Uh, even, the fir- even the first century Jewish historian Josephus brings our attention to the fact that Herod imprisoned John and ultimately executed him. But he, re- he rationalized it saying, well, Herod was afraid that John in gathering the people would cause an insurrection. But you and I know better. He didn't imprison him because he was afraid of that. He imprisoned him because he hated the truth. Herod's a really strange person in many regards. He liked to listen to John preach, but he hated what he preached. And that's why he put him in prison and ultimately put him to death. But we look at in the context of John and his ministry, this uh, amazing prophecy, he says, In verse 16, I baptize you with water, but the one coming after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. There's a qualitative difference between John's baptism and Jesus' baptism that he will administer. And he's highlighting that. The baptism Jesus is going to carry out is going to be far transcend my meager baptism 
with water. And there are two elements to Jesus' baptism. There, he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Well, I want to take the second of these two elements first. And we ask the question, what is involved, what is meant by this that he will baptize with fire? Well, in the immediate context, we know that it, in part, at least, what this is talking about is the fire of God's holy wrath. You see it in verse 17. His winnowing fork is in his hand. This is the Messiah's winnowing fork, but who is God? Is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. It's a fire that cannot be put out. And the fire that Jesus will baptize with is the baptism of fire. The fiery wrath of Almighty God against our sin. And that is to draw our attention and to cause us to have a sober assessment of our sin. All mankind are going to have to deal with this. All mankind are going to have to face this. That on the last day, the fiery wrath of Almighty God that cannot be quenched is going to be poured out on the wicked. And it's to be a warning to you and to me for us to take a sober assessment of our sin. If our sin is not dealt with, then we will face the consequence, which is the fiery baptism by the Messiah that he will execute. And if we have a proper sober assessment of our sin, as some that maybe went to see John did, they came to be baptized, a baptism of repentance. The, 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 the cry of our own hearts is, well, is there any escape from that baptism? A fire. And the gospel answer is yes. In the one who will carry out that baptism. Uh, as Jesus neared the end of his uh, earthly sojourn, the, uh, James and John, along with their mother, came to Jesus and said, uh, we'd like you to give us, or, or would you give us a seat on your right and on your left in your kingdom? And Jesus responds with a question. He says, can you drink the cup that I will drink? And can you be baptized with the baptism that I will be baptized with? And James and John said, yes, we can. Now, Jesus doesn't rebuke them at this point. I'm assuming they're well meant in their, their statement. Probably didn't have a clue what they were getting into. But Jesus' response to them was, well, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And you will indeed be baptized with the baptism that I'll be baptized with. They're going to have to go through trial. And then subsequently, another conversation Jesus had with his disciples, he says, I have a baptism to be baptized with. And I am in distress until it is accomplished. What is our hope to escape the fiery baptism of the end? 
It's the fact that Jesus went through that baptism of fire in his sufferings on the cross so that you wouldn't have to. He went under that fiery wrath of God's holy wrath in himself in his sufferings on the cross. He experienced that baptism of fire himself so that you could have hope to escape it. And the question for you and I to face is, has he gone through that baptism of fire for me? Have I embraced this one who alone can deliver me from that calamity? Have I trusted in him? No outward ceremonial baptism will save you, but Christ can. But to continue on with the baptism of fire, what does it communicate to you and to me? So we think about that. If he has suffered that baptism on our behalf, what does it mean then for for you and for me? Well, the first thing it means is pardon. He suffered that wrath so that you could be pardoned from your sin. So that your sins could be taken away. So that you would escape the, uh, the fiery judgment of God's wrath on the last day. So the message of this baptism for the believer first is pardon. To pardon us from our sins. The second message for the believer is purification. Uh, the, we, fire is used to purify metals, to burn off the impurities and so that you can be left <clears throat> with the pure metal. And the fire of, God, of Jesus' baptism, of the Messiah's baptism, pardons us and it purifies us. Uh, Calvin would write, it's Christ who bestows the spirit of regeneration. And that like fire, this spirit purifies us by removing our pollution. The baptism of Jesus, the baptism of the Messiah, that's the baptism of fire, is for our pardon. It's for our purification. God uses all the elements of our life to conform us to the image of Christ. And as part of our purification, as part of our cleansing, as part of our transformation of our life, that we would um, be more like Christ. So the fire uh, is a purifying. We have a graphic picture of this in Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah is in the presence of Almighty God and he cries out, woe is me, I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And God has the angel take a coal from the altar with tongs and apply it to Isaiah's lips and to tell him, behold, this has touched your lips your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. That's the purification of the baptism by fire. To cleanse us from our sin, to cleanse us from our iniquity. Uh, turn to Romans chapter 8. want to look at a few verses at the beginning of the chapter. Romans 8 is one of those passages we love to go to. It's such... Tremendous comfort and help to us, particularly in the latter 
portions of the the passage. But in this one passage, Paul brings together the work of pardon and the work of purification. So in Romans 8, verses 1 and 2, it says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. You have been pardoned by Christ. You have been had your sins taken away. Uh, You have been declared not guilty. And don't ever let Satan convince you that you are still under the burden of God's condemnation. You are not. Who can bring any charge against God's elect? No one, because there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So there's the baptism of fire and the work of pardon. But then we continue in verse 3, for what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. You see, we're pardoned, but we're also the, the requirements of the law, the righteous requirements of the law are made perfect in us. Because we don't live according to the flesh, but we live according to the spirit. We have the, pure, the pardon and the purification that God carries out into our lives. And this, this baptism of fire pardons you and purifies you. And causes you, after reflecting soberly on your sin, are you resting in Christ and his work? But we come back to John's prophecy. I baptize you with water, but one coming after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And it joins together the work, the spirit and the fire is this work, this baptism that's going to be poured out into the believer's life. And the, the baptism is a, a, a privilege and a gift given to all believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. All who rest in Christ have this baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is poured out upon us and given to us. And there's a couple, at least a couple, and there's more than that, but a couple implications of that for us. Uh, one is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for our, regen- our regeneration. Uh, When Nicodemus had his conversation with uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus says to him, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is confused about this. Can I get back in my mother's womb? How does this happen? Well, Jesus explains. Says, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wills. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit into our lives is what gives us a new life. We're new creatures in Christ. We have a 
new affections. We have a new will. We have new desires to please the Lord. Our, our life has changed. Yes, we still struggle with sin in this world, and we still struggle with disappointment and some of those things. But at, deep down at root, the heart's desire is to love the Lord, to love his word, to read his word, to follow that, that that's a result of the work of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a transformation of our lives to put us on the path of becoming more like Christ. And the work of the Holy Spirit poured out into our lives not only changes, gives us a new heart, a new disposition, but he equips us that we might be the faithful servants of the Lord. Uh, the, in, in Ephesians 4, Paul's talking about the work of Christ to each one of us. Grace has been given us. Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. And when Jesus ascended, the first gift that he gave was the Holy Spirit poured out on his people. And the Holy Spirit poured out on his people is one of his tremendous gifts. It changes our life. It equips us. It prepares us. To serve the Lord, as Paul is explaining it in Ephesians 4, it's so that we can become mature in Christ and be prepared. He says he, he's given these gifts to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The, the, the effect, the benefit, the result of the Holy Spirit being poured out into our lives is to cause us to serve the Lord, to love the Lord, and to serve one another. That we might be part of one fellowship, one body. We might encourage one another, help one another, build up one another, so that all of us together become mature attaining to the fullness of the maturity of the knowledge of the Son of God. John baptized with water, the Messiah will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Has that happened for you? Have you begun by having a sober assessment of your sin? Have you rested in Christ's work to to pardon you from your sin? Do you rest in Christ for him to purify you from all unrighteousness? Do you have the new disposition, the new heart to love and serve and follow the Lord, the equipping that you love one another and love the Lord and want to serve him? This is what the baptism by the Messiah is for our good. And may we rest in him and all that he's accomplished so that God would be glorified in our lives and we would be more like Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you for giving us your word, our Lord and Father. We thank you so much. We pray, O Lord, that as we've considered it today, you would have the impact of it, the truth of it, take residence in our own hearts and lives, that your work would be accomplished in us, that the 
the, the glorious divine work of the Messiah would be true for each and every one of us that are here. Help us to rest in him and his work. And may you, O Lord, be glorified in that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.